Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope you had a great time with family this Thanksgiving holiday. And thank you so much for joining us for this online service from First Baptist Church in Rock Hill. I'm Pastor Steve Hogg, and so excited you joined us. You're going to hear a message today from Steve Polk, my executive pastor, preaching from the Gospel of Mark. So grab your Bible, open it to the Gospel of Mark, and... Uh, and then get ready to hear from God. Let's pray, and then you'll hear Brother Polk's message. Father, thank you for this Thanksgiving holiday, for the the many blessings that, that all come from your hand. Every good thing comes from you, Lord, and we give you honor and thanks for all of it. We thank you for family, for friends, and the times that many of us had together this, this past week. And we pray now. As uh, Brother Steve opens your word and teaches and preaches that your Holy Spirit speaks clearly and powerfully to each person who hears your word proclaimed right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us online today. I'm Steve Polk, Executive Pastor at First Baptist Church. It's usually my job to welcome you uh, to our online broadcast. Well, today I'm going to be filling in for Pastor Steve Hogg. He's taking some well-deserved uh, vacation, and so I, you get me today. So it's not often I have the opportunity to preach and, and to share from God's Word with you, uh, but I'm excited about the opportunity. So we're going we're gonna to have a great time together today. We're going to talk about communication as we think about communication, we think about the things that, that we can learn from Jesus about communication. We have to know one thing. Jesus is the master teacher, not just of all things theology, but there's been a lot of books written about the teaching styles and the ways that Jesus communicated to allow people to connect with the message that he was given in a way that they would receive it and respond to it. So we're going to look at that today. What I've entitled the message is how to be instructive without being relationally destructive. And our text is going to be in Mark chapter 12. So as you grab your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Mark 12. We're going to get there in just a moment. But I want to ask you a question. Have you noticed as you've gotten older that how we communicate is almost, if not as important, as what, what we communicate. We want to communicate truth. We want to tell people things that will help them in life. But sometimes how we say it, how we communicate it, the methodology that we use will either make that message one that will be received or rejected immediately just because of how we communicate. We're going to look at that today. Jesus is the master modeler of how to communicate to different groups of people. So as we look in, in Mark chapter 12, we're going to see how he communicates with the Pharisees. It's a group of people that, that uh, were against him. They didn't believe in him. They didn't trust his authority. We're going to look at how he did that. When we think about, um, when we think about Peter and Paul and the apostles, we think about people who trusted him, who wanted to know what he had to share, and he could communicate with them in a very different way. So when we look at different ideas of how to communicate, we've got to be really careful to not lock in on just one style in our own life of how we communicate. I had a mentor um, when I was much younger, 20 years ago. His name is David. David was a mentor of mine, a man who I trusted immensely. He taught me a lot about ministry. He taught me about how to how to lead in church, how to, how to do different things, different tasks to do. He taught me even you know, what would be appropriate to wear 
on Sunday morning as a minister in different contexts of churches. David is somebody who I had tremendous trust in, and so he could be very direct with me. David could be very clear. He could instruct me in very few words and tell me exactly what I needed to know and what I needed to hear at that moment, even if it was something that I didn't really want to hear or didn't like hearing. He had authority in my life to be able to speak into it. And so sometimes telling is an incredibly strong, useful way of communicating. But I don't know about you, there's people in my life and and people that I've known throughout the years who I would consider tellers. Some of those people have vocations where telling people what to do is what they do and it's what they do best. And honestly, they love to see people respond to what they tell them to do. You can put those in a lot of categories. They might be coaches. They might be personal trainers. Uh, They may be in any different walk of life, but they love to tell people what to do. And it's extremely effective when there's a relationship. Jesus was good at that too. He did that with his disciples and he did it in some other contexts. But what we're going to look at today are three different strategies that Jesus used in Mark 12 to communicate with the Pharisees. Again, a group who didn't trust him, who questioned his authority, who doubted him being who he said he was, and yet Jesus had a relationship enough with them to be able to communicate effectively with them. So let's, we're going to go ahead and look at Mark chapter 12. Go ahead and open your Bible. I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and then we're going to end up spending time as we go through all the way verse 17, but we're going to talk about how Jesus told stories It's one of the great methods that he used to to teach and to communicate. He told stories in the form of parables. The second way we're going to look at what Jesus did in these passages is he used agreed upon authority. We'll see how he used Old Testament scripture that the Pharisees believed and they trusted to bring that common ground to their communication, their conversation in areas that they may not agree. And he also used teachable moments. We think of those as object lessons, but those are teachable moments, uh, and the the Pharisees brought him one where he could teach them a truth without being explicit about it, but could share with them in something they would grasp immediately. So let's, let's dig into God's word. Mark chapter 12, 1 through 11, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed, and so with many others, beating some, killing others. He had one more to send, a beloved son, He sent him last of all to them, saying, They will surely respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him, killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and destroy the vine growers? And will he give the vineyard to others? Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Let's look into that parable just a little bit. As we read 
about these tenant farmers and in the, in the harvest time and how these servants were treated, we can we got to understand the the meaning of what those terms were so we can understand biblically what's really happening here. So when we think about the tenant farmers, those who were who were responsible for the land, they were tenants. They didn't own the property, but they were responsible to work the land. Those are are equivalent to Israel's leaders. When you think about the nation of Israel, that's what Israel's leaders were. They were responsible for caring for the nation of Israel. It wasn't their nation to own. It was God's nation, but it was theirs to lead and theirs to to have uh, leadership of. You think about the harvest time. Well, you know, sometimes I think, you know, we plant grass and it grows quickly or you plant corn and you plant it, you know, one time a year and within a few months it's grown. And uh, those of you that are into agriculture, you know how long those fans of time are. Well, in this context with vine growers, it's a five-year process. So when you think about someone whose job it is to, to work a field, to bring about a crop and to be able to be paid and do all the things they do, it's a longer period of time than we might think. It's a five-year time span. So they, they really lived and worked the land as if it was their own. You think about the mistreated servants. Those are equivalent to the prophets. So if you go back and you think about all the things that you've learned through the Old Testament and even the New, as the prophets were coming on the scene and how they were consistently treated poorly, you can see that in these mistreated servants. Most important one, the beloved son. That term is used twice in Scripture. Every time it is used, it is in reference to Jesus and him alone. So you think about all that's going on here in a very spiritual context. The message is coming. It's coming through the prophets. They kill them, they beat them, they throw them out. Here comes the beloved son, what happens to him? They kill him, they throw him out. What happened to Jesus? He came with a message and they ultimately killed him. He hung on the cross. Three days in the grave and then he rose again. And then they go back and reference scripture, which we'll get to in a minute. And then what's that owner going to do is to give the vineyard to others. That is something that, that when we look into the mission of God. The original people of Israel were given the mandate and the mission to spread the gospel. But because they wouldn't come along, they wouldn't follow Jesus, that gospel mission was then ultimately given to the Gentiles. So would he take that opportunity for for the harvest and give that to another people, another uh, group to work that land? We see those parallels in this scripture. Well, Jesus is telling a story, and we'll get to get to something else in just a moment. But as he's telling that story, the Pharisees are listening. They're fully engaged. He didn't tell them what they needed to take from that story, but he told them a story so they could begin to immerse themselves in what's going on and start to see some of those parallels that I just outlined. And I know them well enough to know, as well as they were educated in the scripture, they saw exactly what Jesus hoped that they would see. How do we do that? What opportunities do we have to share a story? As we have an opportunity to share the gospel, what's the best way that we can do that? Well, one of the greatest methods that we have available to us to share the gospel, to share our own personal story. And as we share that story, there's something you have to know, that our personal story is not one that can be argued with. Why? Because it's your experience. It's my experience. And so how do we go about that? How can we share the gospel in our own story, in a concise, clear way. It really has to have a few key elements. So I'm going to outline those for you. Um, Who were you? What was life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? What was that experience like? What was that event? Why did you accept Christ? 
And then now, what's your life like since you have accepted Christ and he's living within your heart? I want to share my story. Because I think my story is one is personal. It's one that, that nobody can argue with, right? Because it's mine. But also testifies to the grace of Jesus Christ. And I can help format it in this way. See, before I met Christ, I, I wasn't a churchgoer. I didn't grow up in church. I came to college, went to college um, at 18 years old, looking for what a lot of people are, which is just to figure out life, how to grow up, how to be an adult, and what things were really all about. I wasn't looking for Jesus, but I found some friends who knew Christ, who were followers of Jesus, and they took me in, and, and we became friends. They began to share with me through different different means. And so they began to kind of redirect my thinking in some ways, though not really overtly, but just through our relationship. I met Christ because of those friends. We, be, we got engaged with Christian music, Christian rock music, to be honest. Way back in the 80s, there was a group called Petra. Petra was a hard rock band, just like any other 80s big hair band, except they sung about Jesus. And so one of my friends had given me that cassette tape, which was a live album recorded at a concert. And at the end of that uh, recording was a gospel presentation and an invitation to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, I had gone home for the summer. It was after my freshman year of college. And I remember being in a Safeway grocery store parking lot. Grew up on the West Coast, so if you don't know what Safeway is, it could be Kroger, Harris, Teeter, you fill in the blank. Sitting in a grocery store parking lot, listening to the end of that cassette recording. And that gospel message was never more clear to me than it was on that day. I'd heard it a hundred times. Listen to that cassette all the time. But I heard clearly that Jesus had a plan for my life, that he loved me, that apart from my sin, he would save me, and that he would want to do great things uh, through my life. I accepted Christ because it gave purpose. I needed a savior because of my sin. But to, to turn from my sin and accept Christ is more than that. It's because Jesus gave purpose to my life. God has called each one of us to some form of a purpose and a priority in life. And so when I came and met Jesus, because I knew he had a better way, he had a calling on my life. He had purpose. He had given me gifts that he wanted to use for the kingdom. And and it's a higher calling of life than it was even beyond just being saved from my sin, though that's plenty good enough. Well, since accepting Christ, I began to learn, began to study, got engaged in God's word, community in a church, in fellowship, and how God has directed me as a person and as a man to follow him is remarkably better. I've experienced what it is to be called, experienced what it is to know what my gifts and talents are, to be able to employ those for the good of the community, for the good of the kingdom of God, and to be to serve him uh, all these years so far. It just really is a blessing to be able to follow Christ and know both I'm eternally secure in my salvation because my sin is no longer held against me, but to beyond that, to know that God has a purpose and a plan for my life while I'm still living to serve him, and to make a difference in people's lives. That's my story. You have your own. I hope you can condense that down and share that in a couple, two or three minutes whenever you have the opportunity to share your story. Um, Let's move on to the second part of this. One of the things that Jesus does in verse 10 and 11 is he, he references back to Psalms 118, 22, and 23. So we're not going to do that now, but if you were to flip your Bible back to the Old Testament book of Psalms, you would see quoted those two verses right here in Mark chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. We're going to talk about agreed upon authority. 
So one of the things that Jesus did, not only did he tell stories and use parables, but he also came to a point to have agreed upon authority with the Pharisees. You think, well, how do you agree with the people who are trying to kill you? Well, you can find a common ground with just about anybody. Verse 10 and 11, have you ever read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus brought them something that they would trust and believe to help feed their conversation. You see, back at the end of chapter 11 is where the Pharisees are really challenging Jesus' authority. They begin to take him to task and questioning him as an authority figure. They knew he was a great teacher. But as soon as he called upon those Old Testament scriptures and included it in the conversation, you find out very quickly in verse 12, it says, For they understood that he spoke the parable against them. It brought it full circle so they knew that what he was saying in that parable was direct communication to them, but they had to kind of figure that out. But he did it by solidifying his authority, by calling upon Old Testament scripture that he agreed with and believed as much as they do. Uh, You've got people in your life you may not agree with. Um, I have a sister-in-law. I love her to death. Uh, She is a wonderful lady. She's the the mother to my niece and my nephew, uh, my brother's wife. And we we don't agree on some things. She's a teacher in education. So sometimes we'll talk about education. We don't always agree on what should happen, but we can find agreement. We agree that in the system of education, we need to provide a that education is important, that children are important, that every kid needs an opportunity to advance and to progress and have opportunities to grow um, in order to be productive members of society. We can agree on some foundational things and be able to have conversation without conflict because we can agree on those foundations, even if the way we would go about it might be different. Well, here Jesus is able to do that with Old Testament Scripture and find common ground with some people he definitely disagreed with because uh, they didn't even believe that he was the Messiah, which is critical. Um, another avenue that Jesus used in uh, in teaching, communicating with the Pharisees, teachable moments. We might call these object lessons. Um, but in teachable moments, I love I love this story for for what that it is. So in verse thirteen through seventeen, I'll read that. We're gonna it's kind of its own illustration of what takes place. It says. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They're trying to catch Jesus in something that he said to prove somehow that he wasn't who he said that he was. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? They're trying to trap him. Uh, And I think really in that earlier language, they're using some flowery language to try to kind of pull Jesus into the conversation and kind of let his guard down. But it goes on, verse 15, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, he knew what they were doing. He said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a Daenerys to look at. Bring me the coin and let's look at it. So they brought one and he said to him, whose likeness, this is what Jesus said to him, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. They were shocked. They were in disbelief. We might even say they were speechless 
because of how he used that object lesson to answer the question without directly answering the question to say, yes, you should pay your taxes. What he did is he showed them, well, it's it's Caesar's on the coin. Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. He also said, give to God what is God's. Well, what's God's? Everything else. Okay. There's people, uh, people in our lives uh, who love to ask the question, why? Uh, and I was trying to think of, of some ways to help illustrate this, and I was one of those kids. I remember being a kid in the backseat of the car, and everywhere we went, anything we saw, I would ask why or how. Or, uh, and oftentimes the question really was, why? Why does that exist? Why is the sun that high in the sky? Why are those clouds there? Why are, the, why are they moving? What's, what's happening here? And I would ask those questions over and over again. And as I got older, I came to realize that it wasn't really loved all that much in my household that I would ask all those questions. It kind of got on people's nerves. Um, To the point that, you know, my brother really didn't like it, so that would result in some disagreements in the backseat of the car, said nicely. Uh, But my parents even would get tired. And I'm a parent. Sometimes I get tired. But they would get tired to the point where they're trying to answer these questions But the best answer and most frequent answer they could come up with to try to get me to be quiet was either because I said so or it just is what it is. But because I said so is usually the closer to go, you know what, it's time to take a time out, move on, let's move on to something else and let that conversation go. Because oftentimes I wouldn't do that. But do you have a better answer? Are you ready to give answers that point to Jesus? You see, when, when we're asked questions from our kids, we need to be able to give an answer. Can we give answers that, you know, we want to tell the truth, but can we give answers to help point them to Jesus? If your son or your daughter is one of those that loves to ask questions and they're in the backseat of the car on a road trip and they're, you know, beyond the question of how much further, which we all get and we all love so much, there's so many more questions. You know, we can talk about creation. We can talk about how God made the things that we see, how God causes the earth to spin on its axis so that we can see the sun rise and set, all the things that can happen in the world. Uh, even when somebody you know, has an accident, you know, how often can we, can we go by the scene of an accident and we can invite our families to pray for those people that may be injured or just lost property or maybe they're just going to be late to grandma's house for Thanksgiving, whatever those are that we can begin to pray. But how can we shape those conversations to help them see Christ in the things that we're going about on a daily basis. When we're asked questions, we're going to be able to have better answers. Jesus always had great answers. He always had had a way to draw people into conversations, um, and he had a way of communicating that really made a difference for people to let them understand what the truths were he was trying to teach in a way they'd stay engaged and they would ultimately understand. You know, it's such a privilege that we have the scriptures that we have written thousand, couple thousand years ago, but yet we can learn so much from it. And today we can look at just how to communicate very practically to help us communicate with people. Um, I've got four sons. Uh, they range in age from 16 to 30. Uh, that one's hard to admit, but at their ages and through the different stages of life, I've had to grow and change as a parent. I've had to change um, how I communicate with them based on their stage of life. You communicate differently with a three-year-old than you do a 30-year-old. But I always want to maintain a heart connection and maintain a a position 
of providing guidance and authority uh, where it's needed or or wanted in their lives. So, but you learn to communicate in different ways. I'm a totally different parent with the fourth 16-year-old than I was with the first. Why? Maturity, growth, and learning. You know, so here's a challenge for you. I've met people uh, through the years who will make a statement or say something like this. I am how I am. Uh, you can just take it or leave it. I ain't changed. I've been this way since I was a young man, and uh, I'm this just how I am. You know, that's really not the way that Jesus would have us be. He would always have us learning and growing. So I want to challenge you. You know, is that maybe how you operate? You, you've decided that you have one way that you want to communicate. You have just that one track you're not willing to learn and grow. Maybe God is convicting you of that and maybe has hurt some relationships uh, in your lifetime where you need to ask forgiveness. You need to go and ask that person to forgive you and build a different kind of relationship. Um, maybe your motivation when you communicate, and I've been in this camp too, is, is you want to be right. And really, your ultimate goal in communication is often just to prove that you're right, whether you are or not, but you just want to sell your point so convincingly that everybody would accept that you're the authority. You're not the authority. Jesus Christ is the authority. We need that mutually agreed upon authority in our lives, be able to respond to him and to change our lives for the better and change our relationships for the better. So maybe that will challenge you today. Um, And then I ask you this, do you listen? You know, I think one of the beautiful things about Jesus' communication is that he didn't decide on his own how he was going to communicate, but he took the person or the group of people he was communicating with and let the best way to for them to receive the message be the style with which he would communicate. He had an inordinately perfect ability to communicate just exactly the right way for his intended audience. We're not that good. We have to listen. We have to really connect with people in order to be able to speak into their life and to share things with them in a way that will make a difference and maintain relationship. Uh, So I want to ask you how you need to adjust. Maybe it's to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've just lived your way for so long you don't even know uh, that you haven't really accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. To give him over, give your life over to him so that he would change you, you know, Part of the spiritual life is not just accepting Christ, but it's being changed by him as you mature in Christ. We call it transformation. And that's a process we all go through as believers. It starts at the beginning, wherever that is, and it never ends until we pass from this life into the next. So maybe there's some uh, surrender that needs to take place in your life. Maybe there are some relationships that need damage repaired. Maybe you kept communicating with your children the way you did when they were five, and now they're 55, and that's never changed. You haven't built a different kind of a relationship. Let me challenge you to go to those adult children, to go to those 30-year-olds, or 20-year-olds, even 16-year-olds, and repent. Tell them you're sorry. Work on being different. Learn. Learn how to communicate differently. Follow the example of Jesus. We can share stories. Telling is part of it, and we started with that. You can occasionally, there's opportunity to tell. But you can tell stories. Tell stories from your own life that will make a difference for them. Maybe it's, it's just coming to a common understanding, calling on common ground of truth, where you can bring people together around that common foundation in order to have a conversation that might you might have different viewpoints, but that you can bring it back to a common ground. 
or uh, it's teachable moments. Taking advantage of those times where God just provides the opportunity to talk about him and you're ready for it. I pray you would be ready when those opportunities come. I'm going to pray for us now. And I just pray that as, as I do, that these teaching methods, these communication methods Jesus taught us will help you build better relationships to have better influence without destroying relationships. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you model communication for us. You do so much more than just tell us the gospel throughout Scripture, the whole story from Genesis to Revelation, but you give us things that you teach us and how we can be better and more influential and more full of grace in our life as we live today. This is one of those times. As we think about communicating with people we come in contact every day, that we will be ready to speak to them in a way that they're ready to hear. Not to be persuasive or convincing or manipulative in any way, but to meet them at their heart. Help us to do that. Lord, as we need to change, that you would challenge us and we repent of our own way, that we would follow your way, a much better way to have influence in people's lives for the kingdom of God. Thank you for challenging us in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.